My name's Nick. I'm the owner of Kevlar Joe's and I'm the roaster. I'm an Air Force Security Forces veteran, a dad to three wild boys, and a husband to my wife, Crystal, and a coffee enthusiast. From a family in a small town in Missouri, we started with the simple idea of crafting a perfectly bold cup of coffee. Inspired by wellness and countless pots of stale coffee while deployed, we wanted to craft a bold, clean, and smooth coffee. So we did. And we realized we wanted to share this coffee with our friends. Lord knows we could all use a good cup of coffee right about now. From the farm to your coffee cup, there's nothing like a good, well-crafted, and bold cup of coffee. No matter what time of the day, it's there to pick you up, motivate you, and relax you. We hope you enjoy our coffee. Be bold, be humble, be Kevlar. And you can find Kevlar Joe's Coffee Company anytime you want at www.kevlarjoe.com. And for listeners of the Dig Bible Podcast, use the code, all caps, DIG20, whenever you're checking out to get a 20% off discount. Enjoy. This is Dr. Aaron Judkins, the Maverick Archaeologist, and you're listening to the Dig Bible Podcast. We should read our Bible as men digging for buried treasure. The Bible is the world's most popular enigma. Its secrets lost to cultures beneath the sands of time. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. God wants you to seek, to read his word, to to look for that knowledge. He wants you to do that. And the people at Nicaea, they like chopped out 80 books of the Bible. We need to bring those back. More bad guys in this thing than a Bruce Willis. Oh, yeah. Let's back it up here. I I love the intro to your show because it's exactly right. There's these nuggets of gold in his word. As you guys always say in the show, you you gotta dig it. Dig it. Show us your nuggets. God, our creator, lies outside of time and space and matter. I feel like God would be like, hello, McFly. You ain't got it so far, then. There are secret societies think that they are the descendants of the giant. I mean, isn't isn't this exciting? I mean, you read it, it's like, wow. The Nephilology Roundtable. But these angels were taken to help immediately. Do not pass gold, do not collect $200. You're out of the game. Dirty hands means clean theology. Can you dig it? What's going on, all my local guys and gals and long-distance pals? We're back. We're back. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have Ben today. Ben is not here today, so I, you got to be my back man. I'm going to try. <laughs> I'll do my best. Well, how's soccer going? It's busy, man. There have been games, games, games. Um, they won last night, and they lost tonight. But um, like just like five minutes ago, breaking news, 
they lost. Granted, we're not live, so no one will hear that. <laughs> but yeah. but they lost. But uh, um, man, they're having a good time, and I just love being out there. I love watching the kids play. Uh, you know, just having a blast, being with their buddies, and it takes me back to when I used to do that, and it just. Those are good times in my life. Yeah, and Ben, he's out. His son just started t-ball. Mm-hmm. So, and your and your son's playing baseball this time around too. Yeah. So we got all sorts of things happening. Yep. The weather's getting warmer, and the kids are starting to play the sports and all that good stuff. Oh yeah. Getting ready for summertime, fun I'm a, time. I'm almost ready to come out of hibernation. Yeah. Mm, it's close. Sun's out, guns out. Well, I don't have those. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now we're in the, the third session of our Acts Bible study, mm-hmm. and uh, we got uh, Ryan Peterson with us today, and so uh, we had a really great, great time with Ryan last time we had our interview with him, so we invited him out for the Bible study, and he was uh, gracious to join us, so uh, before we get in that, we'll open up in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for everything you've given us. Just please continue to bless everything that we do. Please help us to keep our focus on you and if we can reach that one person out there that needs to hear this lord please let it let it get to their ears that we can make a difference in that person's life through you and in your name we pray lord amen amen well ryan how you been friend what you been up to hey man fellas uh i'm doing great i'm doing great uh blessed happy to be here great to be back with both of you and uh, i'm in the same season of uh the spring basketball baseball coming up dance for my daughter so uh i i, I hear on all those things so uh but yeah but everything's great glad to be back and um excited for uh this study today i like that shirt you rock and i, I told you pre-roll i like that judgment yeah, of the thank nephilim you. thank you yeah got the judgment of the nephilim merch on i wear my t-shirt my wife encouraged me because i never wear it on interviews so I was like, you know what? I'm going to break it out and wear it today on the Dig Bible Podcast. That's right. Can you dig it? Can you dig there it? There you go. Yes. <laughs> Love it. And I can dig it. It's a great book, so. Yes. <laughs> Dug in many times. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're uh, we're in Acts. We're going to pick up on uh, Chapter 10. Chapter 10. Yeah, for those uh, just joining us, we do uh, just an overview of the chapter and go through talking points, and we just let the Holy Spirit lead and see where it goes from there. Uh well, Ryan, you're the guest. Uh, chapter ten. Uh, what was your thoughts on the the chapters and overview? My thoughts were when you told me, you know, we we're going to start off kick off with Acts ten. That it's it's just God. You know, I I, I say this a lot in my house <laughs> and probably on my YouTube show, but this this really I say it a lot about a lot of chapters, but this is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because Acts chapter ten, when you want to talk about sound doctrine establishes so many important fundamentals of the faith for the simple fact that this chapter is giving a full picture of not only a gospel message being delivered, the actual moment of salvation and belief and the supernatural manifestation, and also a peek into the unseen realm as to how God is working behind the scenes to work all things together for the good to bring that salvation to pass. So it really, I think we're going to find as we talk about it, as we dig in, it really disproves a lot of false beliefs and establishes a firm foundation of what it takes to be saved, what salvation means. And also I think it has a very, uh, very important, um, it's a sleeper chapter also on the, uh, 
the issue of racism in the Bible as well. So I think there's a lot, a lot, a lot of good stuff for our doctrine and to grow in our knowledge of Christ in this one chapter. I love Acts 10. Man, you do a great job of those overviews. I wish I wish I could break it down. We should have put him last, man. That's a tough act <laughs> to follow. No, I, I agree hundred percent. And I think overall my biggest my biggest takeaway I is how much this chapter means something to me. Because you're seeing, like you said, the racism side of things and which is it's it's funny because it was even racism back then against people that had some of the same blood of theirs. I mean, it was mixed, you know, with, with that, uh, the, the Gentile blood, but some of these people were still of Jewish descent, but because they weren't Jews, they were viewed as something different. So we go through this and, and we start talking about the, the difference between Jews and Gentiles and how all of a sudden it's like, Hey, guess what, Peter Gentiles are all right with me too. They're all right with me too. And, and it, it, that's, you know, that's where we come in. And I think that's a big, for me, it's, it's a big leaping point. Cause you know, if you go back through the old Testament, you, you know, you start looking at just the, 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 the Jewish people or the, I'm sorry, the Israelites, but you go through the Israelites and then, you know, you get through all this point and, and even the beginning of all of Jesus ministries about the Jewish people. And then all of a sudden, boom, look at, no, you're taking my word out to everybody. And I think that's, this is a pretty big chapter when it comes to that. Exactly. And I think it establishes a point that's, um, you know, it's scary in the church, right? We, we don't want to talk about like racism becomes so politicized, right? It's like, oh, if you talk about racism, if you, if you, I actually know, I mean, I've, I've listened to a, a Bible teaching where it says, where a pastor actually said, but beware of the word anti-racist. I'm like, should we beware of that? <laughs> Isn't that actually a good thing? But, um, but it's important because it's doctrinal, right? And so God is going, is using, think about this. God is using supernatural revelation from heaven mm-hmm. to work this out of Peter, right? So again, so it's showing one how this is a sin. It's a very, I always call it the sin on the shelf because it's a sin where Christians feel like if once you're born again, it's something you don't have to worry about. It's like, that's something for another group of people. They're far away from us. It's the KKK, it's skinheads, but no, right? You could have someone like Peter, the leader, right, of the church, a disciple, one of the closest disciples to our Savior, obviously a believer, right, um, who, you know, willing to give his life ultimately, right, for for the Savior and and certainly um, blessed supernaturally by God, right? He had supernatural divine revelation. So, and yet he still struggled with this sin, right? And so to the point that, how can that happen? How could you be so blinded? Because it was in society, right? They had built a system, and I'm using these words intentionally, that they had a system of racism built in, right? And this is the challenge I give to people um, when I talk about this chapter. I've asked this actually to, to many Bible teachers. I say, you know, there's in, you know, Peter says to Cornelius, he says, you know, as you know, I mean, think about what he does, right? He goes to this man's door of someone's home, and says, as you know, it's unlawful for me to come into your house, right? Because you're a different race. And we don't, we don't, we don't spend time and even going near you people. It's basically what he's saying, right? Mm-hmm. But and I say, you know, I say, where is that written in the law? That quote, what where is he? Where did he what chapter of the Bible did Peter get that from? It was doctrine of men, wasn't it? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. You go to, you know, the 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 midrashes and the 
ancient rabbinical writings, you'll see all sorts of things where they say, you know, Maimonides wrote that, oh, you know, you cannot go into the home of a Gentile because they've all shed blood. They're all murderers, right? They are all these things. And, and, and when you see the reasoning of it, it has nothing to do with a real spiritual reason or a godly reason. It's just stereotypes. Yeah. Right? And this is so it's, it's just showing you, like every other sin, nothing's changed today, right? Most of what's going on in society when it comes to racism is based on some distorted view of a group of people that's in contrast to what God says. Because God says, no, Cornelius, he's made in my image. He's, he's me, right? He's me. I made him in my image. He can be saved too. He's not unclean. Yeah, and just like the right. Samaritans, we know we talked about that in our uh, parables exactly. episode. You know, a lot of people don't realize that it wouldn't just, you know, oh, they wouldn't Israelites, so therefore we hate them. No, there was a lot more, you know, deeper roots than that. They believed that these people were of their people, but they were basically traitors. You know, when the Assyrians came in and intermarried and bred, these were the offspring of those intermarriages. You know, they, they compared them to dogs. You know, that's exactly. why when to Jesus, pigs, yeah, swine. and when Jesus talked to that woman at the well that was a Samaritan, when his followers come back, they were outraged, you know, for two reasons. One, it was a woman, and number two, yep. it was a, a Samaritan woman, you know, so yeah, it was it, it, exactly, it was exactly bred in, right? And so, and and look what they had built, it was built in his mind, that was the law. He, he was equating this man made doctrine, right? What is it? It's segregation, right? They are living in racial segregation we don't even go in your house so clearly they're in different neighborhoods they don't interact with each other and he was equating that with the word of god right and that's the danger is that we can and the church has fallen for this in america from the 18th century right from the beginning that the church has been at many critical points in history when it comes to race relations the church has, has floundered and failed not all the church right you of course have the puritans from the beginning you have quakers who are staunchly abolitionist and things like that but and so but it's something i think today the lesson i see from acts 10 is that we have to address this just like any other sin just like uh lusting sexual lust right just like anger envy covetousness thievery violence right whatever whatever it is that the devil is trying to tempt you with it's going to be different everyone's life but certainly um we have to treat this just as seriously as any other sin. Cause look what God did to try and work this out of Peter. Um, he literally spoke from heaven to him to do it. Yeah. Well, Steve, I guess for the people that may be not familiar with it, you want to cover that, uh, talk about that verse about the, the vision he gets where he uh, exposes to Peter that uh, the walls were coming down. So I think that the vision, I think it's really cool. If you haven't read this before, um, you know, and it's it's amazing because God's timing is always impeccable, right? So Cornelius <clears throat> sends for sends for Peter. He's told in the vision to send for Peter. So these men are on the way, and they've almost got to the town. So what? And and Peter goes up to the roof to pray, which I think is an important point too, because you're seeing Peter separating himself when he prays, right? He's going and he's talking to God alone in a quiet place, away from everybody else. It's not like, hey, look at me, I'm praying. Peter is doing this, separating himself, having a discussion with God. This is a very important point of this. I think that when we pray, that's between us and God. That's that's our time with him. And it's very important that also when, when we ask and, and when we talk to God, that we also listen. And we talked a little bit about that this actually earlier today and some stuff that we posted earlier this week. But very important that we, when we, 
take that time with God. We pray to him and then we take that time to listen and understand what God's saying back to us. But Peter goes up and has his vision, ironically, how many times? Three times. Yeah. Always, always. Solidifies you know, it. It solidifies that. Yeah. Something that that complete number of three. But he has his vision that this almost like a sheet comes down right from heaven. Four corners comes down and all these animals are on it. These that they would have considered impure. And, and God says, go and, you know, kill and eat. And he's he's like, uh, no, I can't do that. That, that's that's not okay. Those things are all impure. And he says, how does he say it? What's the best way? Do not call something unclean which God has made clean. And I think that is so profound because if you think about it, these things, these animals, these these uh, uh, things that, that would have been called unclean, they weren't unclean in the Garden of Eden, right? They weren't unclean when he came off the ark. But guess what? Shortly thereafter, the impurities come back. And you see that in a lot of those different things. So you see that, first of all, you're seeing a separation when you talk about the the thing that Peter right away says, nope, I, I'm not allowed to do that. I cannot eat impure things. So Peter still has that when you talk about that racism and, and things of that nature. He still has the viewpoints that, and he doesn't, totally understand at first because he even says it after the vision he was puzzled he still doesn't totally have all the pieces together from this but he sees things that have been taught to him through the law that that god is trying to tell him he's trying to he's trying to prove a point and when we get through that vision he gets this vision three times it's told tells him to go and and to eat of, of these kill and eat of these unclean animals and then just like that, the sheet arises, and what happens? Cornelius's men show up at his door. There's a knock. When I'm at the door, or when I'm, uh, how, how does that, how does that go? Uh, I'm at the door and knock. You know, he who comes and opens the door and yes. sups with me. It's it's Amen. the same thing all over again. You're seeing that where he's coming, and and you're seeing God is knocking on his door through Cornelius to show. Listen. The Gentiles are good with me. They're clean. I've made them clean. And it's that time. And that comes out of that vision. And I like what you said before, like when we were talking pre-roll. Well, who was the one that got to Cornelius? You know, Cornelius was already a believer. You know, he was a you know Roman, you know, soldier. So he, he already devout, believed. He was a devout, God-fearing man prior to this. Yeah, so, so who got to him, you know? Yeah. The walls were already down. He was just trying to tell his people you know, get, get, get on with the program. Yeah. I think I, it's just, it's just amazing. I think that if you can't read this and take away from it, that you're never going to totally understand how God works. You can sit there and try to understand it. You can sit and try to pick it apart, but it is so beyond us. And that you see, even then, you know, things, Peter got smacked in the face with this, like, Hey, here's this vision. And guess what? Boom. Gentiles are outside. Just like that. I just think that it's just, it's one of those things that blows me away. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And, 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 you know, you also see that again, the workings, right. That Cornelius has his own vision, right. God is working on mm -hmm. both in both men to bring this to pass and how important it is, right. That God wants us to seek those who 
you know, society may say, well, you're not supposed to be around them, right? They were, they, you know, it, this, this is the heart of Christianity. It's humbling yourself before God. And it took a lot for Peter to put it all together. But when he did, it's just a beautiful thing that he realizes that, wait a second, not only did God speak to me, he also led Cornelius to know I was, to, to know that Cornelius was expecting something divine, right? So when it all came together, you know, he says of a truth, God is no respecter of persons. You know, it's, it's just a beautiful thing. And I think that we need more of that, that heart and that spirit uh, in the church today to say, hey, God is no respecter of persons, that there might be someone out there who they, on a, by all appearances, seem as ungodly and unclean to us as possible, but God loves them. And we are Peter in the story. We're the ones, we're the saved one who need to go out, drop any preconceived notions, biases, prejudices, and work those things out of ourselves, out of our hearts, and go rescue the unclean, undesirable people, you know, um, in society. Like we're very, we're, it's easy for us as Christians to say, identify who those people are, but what are we doing to reach them? Right. And that's what God is. This is what God, and think about it. If, it was, if, if it's this much of a challenge for Peter, think about how much we have to dig into our hearts without getting a vision and a role. We have the book right now. We have the whole account. So we have to use this and apply it to ourselves. Um, you know, myself included, you know, I, 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 I've been challenged in my own way, even, um, you know, at work, you know, I was, uh, I remember I was at a work function where people were just, it was like a food truck. You could bring your families and was eating at picnic tables and, you know, um, I'm sitting there with my family. My kids are there. We're all eating, having a great time. And there was someone sitting at another table who was a colleague and I was new here. I was new in my company and, you know, she Definitely, I, I assumed it, but I was correct. She, you know, is uh, uh, part of the LGBT community and her appearance reflected that. And I said, uh, and she was sitting alone. And I'd never met her before, but I've seen her in the office. And I said, hey, I said, come sit. And I brought her over and introduced her to my family and said, you know, these my little kids, don't mind them. They're eating like they're starving. And <laughs> I wanted to befriend her. And, and that's for me, I don't know if I would have done that, you know, 10 years ago as a, as a Bible believing Christian going to a Bible believing church for sure every day. I don't know if I would have done that, but over time, um, and this is why fellowship is so important by being around a lot of godly men who I've learned from mm -hmm. to extend compassion before anything, mm -hmm. extend mercy before anything, extend grace and love. Um, it's just growth, right? I've just grown my own right to say, cause that, that opened the door, not even that day, but later on, for us to have conversations about my faith. And now she can reflect and say, wow, he's talking about Jesus and look at the way he treated me, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah. that's the, you know, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. So I, I'm just being honest in my own sinfulness that I probably wouldn't have done that in 2013, but over time, you know, we grow and that's what we have to work on. Yeah. And that's like with me, I was telling Steven, you know, we joined this uh, radio broadcast, you know, group and it's called you know the the fringe uh radio network you know and i told him right off the get-go you know i said a lot of people's probably gonna look down on us for this because you know there's a lot of non-christian shows on there but that's how you got to reach the people you know you got to meet right. them where they are and i recently done a show uh called uh subconscious realms 
And when you look at their cover art, you know, it's got like this wizard looking guy with a serpent staff. You know what I mean? Immediately, most Christians would have been like, no, and <laughs> not even yeah. heard the guy yeah. out. But he reached out to me and he was like, hey, you're a really intelligent guy. I'd like to talk to you. Would you be willing to talk to us about uh, astrology and, uh, you know, astronomy in the Bible? And I was like, yeah, man, you want to talk about the Bible? We can talk about the Bible. And we had a great conversation, you know what I mean? And who knows what, what seeds you might have planted, even if it wasn't with them, maybe one of their listeners, you know? That's what you got to do. Hallelujah, right? I mean, amen. I mean, that's what it's, I mean, that's exactly where you should want to be, right? I mean, that's where Jesus was, right? Yeah. And then look, what did the the church of his day say? You know, he dined with sinners. What is he doing? Well, that's where we're supposed to be. We're supposed yeah. to be dining with quote-unquote sinners, right? And so... uh that's great. That's an awesome testimony, man. And I'm glad to hear that you brothers are willing to do that because you're right. Many Christians, well-meaning Christians, you know, um, would say, I'm not getting involved with that. But we need to go in there and share the good news. Yeah, go share your life. Yeah, we want to be with you. We want to engage. We want to, you know, that's that's the mission. So that that's awesome, man. That is an awesome testimony. I think the big thing when you come out of that, too, is saying the same thing is that I, I don't. You know, it's so easy for us to look down on somebody. Exactly. But there is absolutely no difference between us and them. Amen. A sin is we a just sin. have a hope. That's it. That's we the have a hope, and we need to bring them to that hope. That's yep. exactly the whole point. And that's honestly, this whole book of Acts, and one of the reasons it's my favorite is because of that exact thing. It's, you know, we talk about the Great Commission in the beginning, right? And then you go on from there, and you see how... The decide you look at right here. I love this. The part that it's it talked about the Holy Spirit, you know, talk to Peter, right? We have the Holy Spirit in us. It, it talks to us. The Holy Spirit talks to us. And what does Peter do? He goes without hesitation. That's, That's right. the example that we need. That's what we need to do. We don't condemn the sinner. We might not, we can condemn the sin, but we don't condemn the sinner. That's not our job. Our job Amen. is to be there for everybody is to help them along the way because guess what we're all sinners amen yeah exactly i mean i mean this is like that's why i said this is the heart of the christian faith i mean you see it on this play throughout but this chapter really shows and that's that's a just an excellent excellent point and then we see you know even after peter gets the revelation the power right look what happens the holy spirit rushes into the home Right. He's not even done preaching his, his sermon. Right. And so, again, it's like all we have to do is, you know, when they say how give no space to the devil, I think it works both ways. Right. James says, draw unto draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. Right. The more we can give God space to work in faith and obedience, God's going to do the rest and blow our minds at the same time. And show us something like, you know, who knew you, you started the Dig Bible podcast, you end on the Fringe Radio Network. And who knows, you might get an email next year from someone who says, hey, I listened to you one day. I was completely steeped in the new age. And now I'm a believer in Christ, right? Yeah. And that's going to be God, you know, giving that growth. So what I love is, awesome. you know, like right after that happens, you know, the spirit comes and they start healing and stuff, you know, t you know, typical, you know, what happens. But then when you get down to like, you know, verse 45, you know, the, the, the lines were still there because it draws it. You know, it says the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was even poured out on the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, just in case you wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Peter was being an excellent example. He drops it right there and says, you know what? 
baptize them. Yep. They're 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 one of us now. So he dropped that instantly. Dropped my my point about the doctrinal aspects here because this this forty four and forty five are very very important. So I don't know um, if you all are like Lutherans or Calvinists or anything like that. Oh, no. I was raised Lutheran my entire life. Okay, so 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 all right. So there you go. So I'm not a Lutheran. Come um, at me, bro. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but you know, the, you know, for the people who believe, you know, baptismal regeneration, that baptism is what gives you the Holy Spirit and regenerates you. Actually, the actual physical act. This shows you, right? He received. They receive the mm-hmm. Holy Ghost clearly, and then they are baptized, right? So immediately, this is a clear very clear doctrinal refutation that no you it's the belief in the heart that brings the presence of the holy spirit that's what it is it's not water it's obviously not a work it's uh it's faith in this belief and so um yeah so that's an important one and then i love again how it goes through and shows that you know cornelius said that you know his arms had come before the lord right he was believing he was doing things even you know um at the start of the chapter it kind of goes through a lot of the things, the pillars that people will say, oh, you know, there's no one's good. There's nothing good. If you're not saved, there's nothing good before God. You know, that no, that, that he was seeking, right? He was a God fearing. He was seeking God and God will come to you. The God acknowledges that and brings Peter, right? To personally deliver the gospel to you after giving you a supernatural intervention. So, uh, so even then on the, on the more for all my reformed brothers and sisters out there, I, I have a very good friend of mine, one of my closest friends who's a, a reformed pastor. And we, we go back 15 years going through this chapter and I'm like, show me point by point. I'm like, he's like refuting all the five points. I'm like, he's, he's, he was acknowledged before. He wasn't totally depraved. God sought him out. He did something as well. And it's just a beautiful, a beautiful account. But I think it, it, it gives some strong doctrine on how we're actually saved. Right. He, he, it wasn't that he just happened to be standing around and God said, you're like, boom, I'm going to zap you with the Holy Spirit. No, there was a lot more. His heart led, <laughs> led him to faith. And then he saved and receives the Holy Spirit. I think, oh. oh, sorry. A good, a good, I just kind of going on your, your same point is that, you know, you think about when it was John the Baptist, he says, I baptize you with water, but there's one that will come that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There's definitely a distinction. There's a difference. And there's actually another, uh, there's a, where is it? There's well, Acts one five when back in the beginning it says John baptized with water, but just in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And there's a later Amen. part in Acts that talks about it that says that um, oh you have only been baptized with with water, but uh, you have not yet received the Spirit. So there's there's you see the differentiation and you see that it's your belief. There are people that are in in countries that that honest that do not have the ability to listen to us right now. And those people might not understand, you know, they might get the word. Maybe somebody sneaks a Bible in, they do this, you know, whatever. Somehow they, they learn of the word of God and they aren't baptized, but that, that's not a determining factor whether or not you're going to heaven. I'm sorry. That, you just can't Amen. put that and say that. Boom. Yeah. You know, nope. You did. Somebody didn't splash water on you. You're out. Yeah. That's a declaration of war. And not that I'm against not that I'm against baptism. I'm not against it at all because I think that that's you just showing everybody what side you're on. I think that's your just your your commitment, just saying, hey, you know, I'm with you, God. I'm, I'm okay with being baptized. But that is not the determining factor for your salvation. 
That's why I say like the declaration of war. I like how Derek Gilbert put it. You know, he said it, he said it's a declaration of war. It's spiritual warfare. You know, he said the yeah. whole resurrection. You know, with Jesus, that's all symbolic through the baptism. Because here you are, you die in your sins and and you're put under the water. You know, the abyss, the abyss where Jesus and Second Peter descended to proclaim victory over the fallen Amen. realm, and then you are brought up a new creation. You know, it's just you know spiritual warfare. Amen. Absolutely. Right. You're signing up, right? You're it's like you're enlisting. And yeah. really that's what God is. And, you know, and we see this throughout the Old Testament, right? You know, um, you know, I mentioned this last year, the idea of the, the typology in the scroll of time, but like, right, that you have God wants a sign. He wants a signature. When you're when you are entering to align with God in this war against the forces of evil, against Satan and his angels and, the, and all the evil beings in this universe, you have to sign on. And, you know, he in whether it's circumcision, whether it's you know, splitting the animals of Abraham, that God wants a signature. And that's what, that's what I believe, right? So to, to your point that we're enlisting, it's like you're signing your name. When you sign your name over to the military, that's what signifies. It's not saying I want to go to the military. You literally have to sign because now you're giving your life to the U.S. military for a certain amount of time, yeah. in our case, forever. But, yep. you know. Well, well David like Paxton, that. if you're listening, you're signing a contract. Contract, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah we had him that's on right. he wrote a book about contracts and he was talking about how you know when you accept the blood of christ that he he takes that blood and blots out your old contract with satan and death and, and you're getting a new contract and, and that's what it is too i mean that's the, you can put it in the military phrase but certainly you can put it in a legal phrase i mean all the language of salvation is really legal language right you're making it's a covenant right and you're it's it's in your sign of the covenant as you say in, in the old testament it's a signature that's what it's saying it's, it's the equivalent of a signature on a contract and that's what you're doing as well you're signing and god wants your signature on the, on the dotted line which is why we have baptism it is our signature into our covenant we are entering with god and you might know a little bit about law that's right. <laughs> a little bit. Just a little. But that's the same thing with those with any of those. Think about it. It's it's replicated just like anything that is godly is on the evil side is always replicated into some way to try to kind of misconstrue things. Because if you look at the secret societies and all these, you have to take some kind of special oath. You have to do some kind of secret ritual. You have to do all these things. It's the exact same thing you're saying. It's it's your dot. You're you're choosing sides, and that's what baptism is: is choosing that side. And it's the same thing. If you're, you know, signing a, a blood oath for some secret organization, you're you're choosing sides. That's what you're doing. So ultimately, I think that that that, like I said, I, I 100% for baptism, but that's not your that's not your salvation. That's just you putting on your team's jersey, if that makes Amen. sense. Well, you guys good with ten? You ready to go to eleven? Why don't we go back to one and start over? Don't you? I'll throw this book at you. <laughs> I'll throw this book at you. But no, 11, uh, you know, Peter goes back to Judea, and what I what I got in my notes was uh, the Judaizers attack immediately. Yeah. You know, he tells the vision of the Holy Spirit, and then it comes down just like Pentecost all over again. So we kind of are going back to chapter one, Steve. I, I recant. You, I recant. A little bit. <laughs> I think it, I think this is awesome. I mean, go ahead, keep going. Oh, and that was it. And then just you know, and then they prophesy about a great famine coming. I I do. I think it's when we, yeah, eleven. Still got a bunch of notes, but I don't have as many as I did on ten. But, um, I think it's important to look right at the beginning because you see that right away, what happens when you, when you uh, uh recant your 
socialistic racism, right? All of a sudden, somebody's going to come at you like, why would, you know, they come right at him. Like, why would you do that? No, no. Those people are unclean, right? They, they opposed him right away. And it's something that we all as believers and, and Christians, when we pick that side, when Stand we love there. our neighbor, as, as God says, you know, one of the, the two major commandments they talk about here, uh, you know, love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But love your neighbor. Your neighbor's everybody. We talked about that in the, in the parables with the, the um, Good Samaritan. Who is your neighbor? And, and he was talking to a lawyer, uh, surprisingly, at that time, too. But, <laughs> but searching for a loophole. Right? There you he go. Was searching for a loophole. He was. And that's what it comes down to. And it's, and it's such a challenge in this era we're living in. And it's no fault of ours, right? We're, we're the experimental generation, right? We have social media, which is a powerful tool for good, right? Praise God that we can podcast that you, there are people probably listening now in Somalia and Eritrea in China who could who could who might be able to tune in and hear this and receive some of God's word in a restricted, you know, oppressive nation, Christian oppressive nation. So, but also there's so much evil on the internet and we're bombarded with everything, right? And so the temptation for a Christian, this is to me is one of the greatest temptations, is that again, the idea of loving our neighbor. It's because we're so we're constantly being pushed in the Christian world today on social media to really just these people are evil. It's these people. Like we want to identify the bad people in society. They are ungodly. They are against us. And we are against them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then we have to keep coming back to right. Ephesians six, we're just getting fooled. Right. The, because the fallen angels, the one running around the demons really causing all of this. And everyone's really trying to, to take us off mission and honestly, and, and destroy us. And that's what we should really be talking about much more in terms of who we hate. And so, yeah, so I say, like, you know, again, it's like, are, are Christians, are we as believers really loving our neighbors? Are we willing to go to um, a fringe, you know, new age event, radio podcast or conference and go share God's word and share God's love? Are we willing to go and engage with the LGBT community and, and share, treat them like we treat anyone from our church, you know? Sunday potluck, right? Or invite them to our Sunday potluck. Are we willing to go to people who we think are, who we don't like, right? I mean, that's what, that's what it comes down to. And it's and, I, and it's now, I feel, because we're so bombarded with messaging. And, I, and you know, and I, I, I'm on social media myself, so I'm not saying, oh, don't use social media. I use social media every day. Um, but we have to war against that sin within ourselves to truly, it's just tougher than ever to make sure that we really are including everyone as our neighbor and loving them because you, the minute you do, what's going to happen? The people around you are like, what's wrong with you? What are you doing there? Why would you go to Cornelius' house? What are you doing? He's uh, associating with witches. Don't listen to him. <laughs> so I think that that's the best segue you could have put in for the one I, I put down mostly kind of points about the whole chapter, but there's one verse that just stuck out at me um, when I read this, and I think it's something that uh, it, it's been sitting with me all week. But it says in verse 17, if then God gave them the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Exactly that point. If God accepts these people, we accept everybody. There's no there's no difference between us. And that's the whole point is why if, if we sit there and we condemn somebody and we, we push them away or, or our neighbor is not considered our neighbor at that point, that's not what God wants. Why would I stand in God's way to save that person? 
I needed that saving at one point, and they do too. There's no difference. And that verse has hit me really hard, and I've, I've been reading that verse over and over again going through this, getting ready for this Bible study, and that one, that one stuck with me. That's powerful. That is powerful. And how often do we stand in God's way because we've let our prejudices, and it doesn't have to be racial, right? It could be, again, it doesn't even have to be sexual orientation. It could be the liberals, the left, the progressives, you know, like, you know, those, these terms we throw out there, how often do we stand in God's way when God is commanding us, go to that person, eat with that person, love that person. Because again, this is, they're no different than you. They're just made in, in, in my image, just like you are. But we're, we don't even know and realize, right? Like Peter didn't even realize. Think, imagine someone coming to your house, to your door. Again, I, I don't mean to go back to chapter 10, but you know, I mean, like we just read that verse like it's nothing. But he just says, yeah, as you know, I'm not even supposed to be here because your people are filthy. Mm-hmm. So I, I ain't supposed to be up in here, right? I mean, that's so disrespectful yes. to knock on a man's door of his home and say that to his face. And he said it with no ill intent. He just said it like it was a matter of fact. So, mm-hmm. so he wasn't aware. So we have, to, we have to push ourselves. And this is the importance of studying the Bible, right? I always compare Bible study and your Christian life to the gym, to athletics. It's like if your Bible study isn't challenging you and wearing out your soul and your conscience to realize, wow, I still have work to do, then you're not working hard enough, mm-hmm. right? You should be sweating theologically and spiritually, of course, when you finish studying a chapter of the Bible. And so I'm, I'm intentionally pushing this because it's a very difficult thing for us to wrestle with because it's so easy to dismiss, oh, it's no big deal. But we do this all the time, myself included. We are standing and stopping the progress of God because we're letting our personal biases and warring with flesh and blood and, and, and really, frankly, hating people make the gospel of none effect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Which I'm always looking for the fallen angel stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, when we done the parables, you know, I talked about how there was a connection, you know, with the uh, the parable of the tenant, you know, and uh, uh, the uh, prodigal son, you know, and just all those, you know, different things. But uh, when you get to verse 15, you know, it says, "As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning." You know, and it was referring to Pentecost. And what a lot of people missed there at Pentecost, you know, what was happening? That was God signaling to his people that the old covenant was done away with and there was a new covenant coming because what happened, you know, Tower of Babel, Deuteronomy 32, the nations and tongues were divided amongst the sons of God. When this happened, everyone could understand each other in their own language and their own tongue. So therefore, Tower of Babel was reversed. You know, so I love how, you know, it was showing that that, we do have a common enemy, you know, just as Reagan said, you know, uh, back in the eighties, he said, you know, if we had a, a common extraterrestrial, you know, enemy, there's nothing that would bring us together, you know, and, and to one accord and, and for one purpose. Well, we already have that. We just don't see Amen. it through a spiritual lens. Amen. Powerful, powerful, man. I mean, that's powerful stuff. And so true, right? It's like reversing Babel, right? Like Heiser wrote reversing Hermes is reversing Babel, right? It's really, um, undoing that and again showing that message that's for everybody right mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit's people when they're hearing people from all different nations all over the world and so uh yeah I mean there's a big element of spiritual warfare at play you know all throughout this this whole chapter right because it's really this is the time when the church has to grow this is this is like you're going you're literally starting from you know 70 80 people 
and moving to thousands, which is going to turn to ten thousands. And like now, even as I'm saying this, I'm even thinking back to Genesis six, right? What led to the incursion of the fallen angels in Genesis six? You go to Genesis six verse one. It says, "When men began to multiply upon the earth, it was the it was the the population explosion that was going to lead to more." people who could potentially be the messiah the seed of the woman that the devil is like okay we got to come in full force now and just wipe this whole race out because i can't go one by one by one anymore to try and stop this messiah from being born and so here we see again what's happening to the church it's multiplying so of course the fallen devil can do anything to frustrate and stop god's plan of redemption and what better way than within because jesus himself said you know a house divided will not stand When you see a violent wind or tongues of fire, you might be reading about that in Acts 2. But if you actually experience wind or fire damage to your home, hopefully you already have the Better Insurance Agency to call to go through the claims process with you. With the Better Insurance Agency, we partner with companies that have a smooth claims process from start to finish on your home. But that's not all. We also make sure that you have the right auto insurance coverage in case of a claim there, whether you have multiple vehicles or just one accord. Our goal is to find you a policy so good, you'll want to tell people about the Better Insurance Agency in as many tongues as possible. Learn more about what we have to offer at thebetterquote.com and reserve a time for a free consultation. Because a better future is built on a firm foundation, only available in Virginia and Tennessee. You know, Amen. Satan, exactly. he's an ancient being. He knows what he's doing. Correct. Definitely. Kind of to the same point you were saying, too, is is I think God worked in miraculous ways here, as he always does, and in ways we don't always see. But And this might answer our question earlier when we talked about how did Cornelius know. But it says in, in chapter 11 that the believers that had been scattered after Stephen's stoning, right? And they had reached all over the place. They had gone all over. And God used Stephen even after, even through his death, you know, first martyr we're talking about, through his death, that the word spread all over the world as a result of him being killed. So you see that even out of something terrible, something great comes out of it. Something amazing, something truly great comes out of it. And I think that we see this as we go through. And when we get a little further, we get to chapter 13 in a little bit. You see, when Paul starts going on his missionary journeys, he travels by sea most of the time, right? He's traveling to Cyprus, and he's traveling to um, uh, back up to Greece. But he's going to all these coastal towns. But at that time, you know, we're talking, this is first century still. All that time, all the major trade, all the major major uh, like business routes, everything went along those ports. So the word of God was going to spread faster in those areas because everybody there was from somewhere else and they're going somewhere else. And the same thing when we go back to talking about Pentecost, why did God use Pentecost for that time for them to speak in tongues was what those, those, it was, they had brought all the, the Jews from the, what we would call the, the 10 lost nations, the 10 lost tribes came back to Jerusalem at that time, right. To, to partake in the festival. And what happens is, Pentecost happens, they all hear him speaking in their tongues and they take that all back. So you're seeing that all get right away from day one. God's using that to spread his word just like that. You think it was planned? 
that kind of... <laughs> it's just amazing to me because you can see it and yeah. you see it through all these things. You see it through that. You see it through Stephen Stoning. You see it through the way that Paul traveled. You see all these different ways that the word could be spread faster, as fast as it could without having the internet at that time. You don't think he was afraid of falling off the, the side? I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. I'm sorry. But I just I just think it's amazing because we see that time and time again. And I think anytime yeah. you see something in the Bible, and this is my, I mean, everything in the Bible is important, but I feel like when God smacks you in the face six or seven times in a row with the same thing, it's really important. So yeah. it's just where I, it's, that's how I feel about that. But I never realized till I was looking into uh, my faith, faith life study notes, uh, verse 26, where it talks about, you know, and uh, when they found he brought him to Antioch. You know, for the whole year they met with church and they taught many great people and uh, formed their disciples there. Antioch of uh, Syria, you know, here was where the first followers of Jesus were actually called, you know, Christians. That's right. Yeah. I thought that was pretty wild. Yeah, little Christ, right? And yeah. so, you know, but that's, and it's, and, and I love it because it shows again that that title matters to God, right? And And that's the challenge, you know, is again, are we letting Christ really rule our hearts and emulating him in how we're engaging in the world, right? Because it, it left and right, you see, just a, what a little bit of obedience to share God's word and be bold, right? Um, what it's doing, right? Everything that we were just talking about, how it's spreading, the word is just growing and growing. And why? Because they're, they're following the master. They're being little Christs. And so, um, yeah, so... Uh, and, 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 you know, and my, many historical accounts say that was even initially meant as an insult to the church because they were, because they were like, oh, you're just acting just like him. But, you know, obviously we know there's like no greater compliment. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're so much like Jesus, you know, like, you know, only if we could hear that from people. Right. Well, have you heard N.T. Wright, uh, his description about uh, being image bearers of God? No. N.T. Wright, man, I heard this for the first time on one of his lectures, and it was really cool. I love how he described it, but he was basically saying that, you know, it's a mirror. We're supposed to be a mirror, but we're not a mirror that's just pointing straight out to everybody else because then they would just see themselves. And at the same time, we're not pointed straight up just so God can see himself in us, but we, we are a, a, a tilted mirror, an inverted mirror. That way, he said, when people look at us, they're diverted to God up above. Oh, and then when God yeah. shines his love down to us, we bounce it right onto them. I like that. Yeah, I'd never I like thought that. of it like that. I really I yeah, changed my perspective. Cool. But, you know, the important thing, too, in that is, is that, again, it's going back to this idea of truly, again, because there's so much of are saying this is salvation, salvation, salvation is the is what is the theme of all these chapters and so much of it is crucifying the self right it's really about surrendering your ego surrendering your pride surrendering your agenda to let god's light shine through you like that inverted mirror to the world and so um yeah just amazing and and their heritage too you know what i mean because they were still, still stuck on circumcision they were still stuck on works and they were trying to tell them, you know, hey, get with the program. You know what I mean? And it's so just, I don't know, I guess stifling and discouraging to me that we see this movement now of people going back 
to that. It's like, why do you want to go back to the it, chains? It, it's crazy. And, it, and, you know, it was really picking up a few years ago. Um, and with a lot of ministries saying, you know, we have to go back to Mosaic law. Um, certainly you have a, a, a revival um, two of kind of like the, um, the black Israelite movement as well. Yeah. And a lot of it too, doctrinally is, oh, we have to follow the Mosaic law, right? So you're seeing this in the church, you're seeing lots of just popping up all over the place. And it's, I mean, it, it's, um, again, what is inspiring this, right? When you talk about inspiration, it has the word spirit in it, right? What is putting this idea in the minds of people to think this, right? It's not, it's the enemy, right? That's yes. all it is. The enemy is just trying to bring us off mission to bring our eyes and our hearts from christ and his finished work what do you mean? right i mean you can't we can't have it both ways right you have to teach the whole counsel of god and jesus said you know his his burden is light his yoke is easy yes his yoke is easy his burden is light because that's what he was referring to for us and so um yeah it, it, it's it's very troubling um it's heresy right there is no one that we're not under the law we're not performing any works to be saved, it's God, Jesus Christ, the Lord, um, did the work um, for us. And so, yeah, um, this highlights that for sure. Yeah, like Paul talked about, you know, we're all going to fall short. So what are you going to do? Are you going to kill Christ again? Exactly. Yeah. I I exactly. That's not nice. No. No. And One it opens you up to so much. Um, it opens you up to being a hypocrite also. Yes. You're not perfect. And someone's going to call you out and see that all your hypocrisy and say, well, you know, I, you know, I, I, and I, and I see this stuff every day. I mean, I saw someone just posting saying, you know, um, about something of this, a similar kind of message. And I said, well, are you including your thought life when this whole no sin thing? Because how's that working out for you? You know, like, and so, you know, it's like, and we had, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it really comes back to pride, right? At the end of the day to think, I feel very blessed that for whatever reason, God has chosen to give me a mind of, that constantly reminds myself of how short I'm coming up. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. <laughs> I think when I look in the mirror, I'm just like, oh, God, thank you that you for sparing me this day. Right. So I, I'm never feeling like, yeah, I'm, I'm on top of things. I got this, law, the whole law figured out. Like, I'm, I feel like God's constantly reminding me I, I have nothing figured out. And so, um, but we have to be careful, right? A pride to think that we can not only say that we're walking in, in sinful, sinless perfection, but to put that on other people, that's dangerous. And a lot of people are doing that now. So just an encouragement to, to avoid those types of teachings that are doing anything to bring us back to the Mosaic law or any law. Amen. Mm -hmm. For sure. Well, chapter 12, we see that uh, James was killed and Peter's imprisoned. So that's uh, pretty uh, bad news there for the, the apostles. You know, James, the other brother of thunder, and we was talking about racism. He was one of the ones that wanted to rain down lightning from above on the Samaritans. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. And what did Jesus say? You don't know what manner of spirit, right? Like, you don't even know where that's coming from right now. Like, don't you have no idea what you're really saying, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> yes. I, I guess going through this a little bit I, I just I think this is a great story too for a couple reasons I think that when we go through and and see Peter in prison obviously you know we all know how that ends you know he he gets busted out by an angel and it's I think it's kind of cool that you know 
being in the presence of an angel showing like, you know, the Bible says that we could be in the presence of angels without ever knowing. But at this point, Peter knew like angels can show themselves in their full, full glory, you know, and we're terrified or we think it's a vision or like Peter thought this was a vision. And, and he's sitting there in prison, chained up between two guards and there's guards outside. And this angel's just like, mm, you know, let's go. And he, he literally thinks he's have, he's back in a trance. Like he was with the unclean animals. He thinks he's, he's, uh, uh, thinking that, um, well, I'm just, I'm seeing something from God right now. All of a sudden he doesn't realize it till he's out on the street and he's standing on the street. Like, Hey, well, heck I'm out of there now. I, I, I Somebody pinch me. I, I know. Exactly. <laughs> and then he, you know, he, where does he go? He goes over to um, uh, Mary's house and, and knocks on the door. And that servant, the servant girl, uh, uh, Rhoda, right? Here's, here's his voice before she gets to the door. And before she can open the door, she runs and tells uh, the other uh, apostles that are there. And pretty crazy when you think about it, but they... There's a couple different interpretations of this, thinking that that uh, it crazy. says that that his uh, his they say his angel was at the door. And some people believe, you know, his ghost is what they were interpreting, and some people believed it was his guardian angel because that was a theory. Uh, I should say that was a uh, belief of of the Jewish people of that day that everybody had a guardian angel, and his angel was coming to deliver the news that he had been dead. And I, so I think that's really interesting because you see that. Again, and it's really important in what we and how we believe this and how we interpret it from the point of view of the people at that time is they believed in the supernatural. They understood the supernatural part of that, too. And I, th I think that's just that's kind of a side note that gets left to the side, you know, off to the side that they they did believe something was out there, but it wasn't human. See, I thought it was a ghost at first. Mm hmm. And then, because I was like, you know, they just killed James. They just grabbed Peter. So they assumed he had the same fate. Mm -hmm. But once I actually got to reading this and studying a little bit, you know, the Greek word used here was uh, was not uh, phantasma, you know, which is the typical Greek word for ghost used everywhere else in the New Testament. And in other ancient Greek literature, instead, the Greek word used is anglos, you know, which is used to describe heavenly beings sent from Yahweh or a messenger. Mm -hmm. You know, the church's reaction likely testifies to an ancient belief that one's angel was a kind of uh, celestial entity that accompanied a person for his or her welfare. The guardian angel. Yeah, see, I, yeah. so there, I mean, I always thought it was a ghost, but it ain't even the same Greek word they used for ghost, so I was wrong. Write it down. I think we, I think we've proved in this a bunch of times that we hey. come through. Okay, I have maybe not. That you. I'm You're wrong. Never wrong. No, that I'm wrong. <laughs> but you know, I think it's awesome because yeah, yeah, every no, time we go through point. this, and um, no, and, and, I mean you completely. I mean that's exactly where I was going to go with it. Right, the Greek reveals what this the verse is saying it's definitely angel they're referring to it's not referring to a ghost, and I do think there's some credibility to that belief. Right, that we have angels specifically assigned to us right jesus says this about children right in the gospels in matthew he says like look don't look down on them right they said when they believe they're angels in heaven rejoice right so he's saying the children sitting right in front of you right here that they have their angels that they whatever again what does that mean to you but he's saying in some in some capacity there are angels that are directly connected or assigned to these children because it says they're angels. And so, um, so I do think there's, 
there is some credibility to that belief um, that we as individuals have angels assigned to us. And even like, you know, I, I lean, um, you know, the account, say, of uh, the rich man and Lazarus. I believe I lean to the interpretation that that's a true account, that that is a historical account, that that was not a parable. Um, and you see that that when Lazarus dies, there's an angel there to accompany him to Abraham's bosom, which I believe is a true account of what happens to a believer. I believe Jesus explained to us that when you die, you're not just going to be alone floating around. An angel is going to come. And why? Of course, to comfort you, right? To, to comfort all of us to say, okay, I'm, I'm taking you to the Lord now. And so uh, it could, that could, maybe that maybe that is the same angel. Maybe it's your angel who, when you die, will accompany you uh, to, to the Lord. So We did a ghost episode about ghosts and demons and what the scripture says, and we was kind of just throwing around, you know, theories and stuff. And I told about a story that, uh, you know, my aunt, and you hear it all the time, that people passing see dead relatives and loved ones all the time. And we were just kind of talking, you know, who knows? Maybe God allows, you know, the, these angels or, or, or phantoms, whatever you want to call it, allows them to, to comfort the dead, to, to welcome them into to the afterlife. You know, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thought. Well, you can't say that it's outside because obviously God can do whatever he wants. Yeah. And there's that, that it was Michael Heiser was talking about that story when he was talking about ghosts. And I thought it was really interesting because... He said he had, it was either a, a, I can't remember if it was a friend or just a lady that came and talked to him, but said that he had, her husband had passed away and she was, um, you know, really distraught. She's sitting at home one day and she said she looked over and there he was and he walked over, he gave her a hug, kissed her on the forehead then disappeared. And you can't, and he, the way he said it, and it made a lot of sense is that you can't show me how that's evil. You can't show me how that it came to comfort her, to tell her everything was okay. All that would do was strengthen my belief in God. So Heiser said, you know, God could do whatever he wants. He could, if he decided, like, you know, with Saul and Samuel, he brought Samuel up and said, hey, look at me. You know, he's there. He's right in front of him. So God has that ability. And um, I, obviously God has every ability. But I just, I think, you know, people who, who we can't go all one way or all another because then we're putting God in a box that we can't, that we can't, we, we just can't do that. God is not, God is out, outside of space, time and matter as, as uh, it says in the intro there, which Rick Hasty said, but um, I just think that's a really important point uh, to, to really think about so that people understand that. Um, and we kind of went through that too. And I'm sorry, I'm really off topic now, but if we go back to, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, where God says to not conjure up those things, right? We don't go out and search for that. But if God deems it necessary for something to be put in our path, as Samuel was in Saul's path, I believe that that's possible. I think that's up to God to determine that, but that's possible. But we are not supposed to go seek that because we don't know what that is that's presenting itself to us. Exactly. And I think you already, you know, uh, provided the proof, right? The proof is Saul and Samuel. God did do it. It's not that God can do it. God did do it, right? Because I definitely, and I think the text supports that that was Samuel. It was not a demon mm -hmm. impersonating Samuel or a fallen angel masquerading as Samuel, that it was Samuel. And I mean, it kind of goes out of its way, right? To say like the the the, uh, the witch at Endor is like, 
you must be King Saul, right? Because mm -hmm. like this is Samuel. Like, it's pretty obvious to me, even though some people dispute it, that that was indeed Samuel. Is obviously his spirit. So it can happen when God chooses to um, allow it. So could it happen today? Absolutely, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus saw Moses and Elijah, and amazing thing about that, disciples even knew it was a Moses and Elijah, which is how how is that possible that they knew what Moses and Elijah looked like? to know it was them, right? They kind of predate them by several thousand years, but God again showed them they were really literally there on the Mount with Jesus. So um, yeah, so I definitely think uh, it, it's possible and we can't limit God. And, and think about it too, right? right? If God's telling us that he's going to send right? The passage in Hebrews that you mentioned that, that we can entertain angels unawares, that, 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 that tells them that God is doing that. There's that God has a reason for sending angels to us in human form, you know, to do whatever mission God has sent them on. And we may not even realize it. Like if, if God's willing to send an angel literally into our house, what's to stop God from allowing the spirit of a human to do the same. Right. So. Agreed. And I, honestly, and that's one of those things, like you say, if I'd gone back even six months ago, I'd have said, no way. God, <laughs> I mean, you know, the more you, you dig into it and the more you, you do the research and, and you really see what it says. And, and I challenge anybody to go back and that's, that's, we actually talked to Derek Gilbert about the Lucifer Satan connection, uh, not that long ago. And that's one of those things too, where read the text, really read the text, see where that stuff's at. Cause we take, we take man's uh, uh, interpretation of things way too easily without looking into things ourselves. So definitely, d definitely. And, and, and yeah. I, and so, yeah, I agree. Um, and as far as Derek, I'll, I'll add to Derek's interpretation of Isaiah 14. I said, and I say, I think it's actually referring to two beings. So I'll, I'll, I'll double them on that. That is not, because <laughs> I believe oh. the Satan and the Antichrist are one in person, right? They're one in, in mission and agenda and spirit, right? Just they're mimicking God, the father and God, the son. So it's really referring to both of them. But um, Derek and I can have a debate another day. Yeah, <laughs> which, he, which he even threw out that he didn't think it was uh, Satan either. He thinks it's no, uh, no, Shim Jaza. No, I understand. He doesn't oh. believe it's referring to Satan. Yeah. But I'm saying I believe it's referring to Apollyon, Abaddon and Satan. I believe it's referring to both of them. Okay, they both gotcha. are unified in their purpose, right? Because the Antichrist does all things after the workings of Satan, right? So he's he he. It's like the relationship of God the Father and God the Son, not the same, but a mimic of it, right? Oh, so I'm seeing a I'm seeing a live dig debate happening here uh -oh. in the future. I can't wait. I'm excited. No, I'm <laughs> in this corner weighing in. <laughs> I love yeah, it. no. Shout out to Derek. I lo love Derek. Love Derek. Shout out to Derek and Sharon. Love them. Oh, love they're great. We're in Israel right now. Yeah, yes. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, but but to that point though, you made the, the 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 bigger point about how six months ago. This is why it's so important. And I love that, you know, with all as as, you know, exciting as it is, right, to talk about Isaiah 14 and Satan and Lucifer, Apollyon, Abaddon, the Nephilim, all this stuff, right? We have to always keep ourselves spiritually fit and just study the word. And the more you do it, right, you're getting your reps in. So you're like, wait a second, now I understand more. I understand this differently. And that's the point I'm trying to make. Like you have, your study has to keep challenging your beliefs. Why? Because we're never, we don't know everything. You know, we don't know close to everything. And the only way we can keep getting closer and closer is by digging deeper and deeper. So um, uh, it's a great testimony. 100% agree. I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't agree more. 
I don't even know where we are. We got we went on a great rabbit trail there. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Go I ahead, Steve. You've not said it yet. Yeah, we got to back it up here. Let's back it up. Um, I, I thought, oh, I do think. Oh, go ahead. Go I ahead. was just gonna say I thought it was pretty wild. Uh, the death of Herod. Yes, that's exactly what I was gonna yeah, say. Yeah, yeah I mean, gotta, that, you got to touch on that. That just came out of nowhere. You know what I mean? And I was reading in the uh, uh, study Bible notes, it was saying that they think they threw this in here to show that you know the persecution of the, of the Christians was about to to lighten up. But yeah, he was just sitting there, you know, and one day it says he put on his, you know, royal robes and uh in the uh study notes it was saying that this thing, you know, was purple and it would sparkle and glimmer and all this stuff and he sits down and the people were all trying to flatter him saying this is not the voice of a man, this is the voice of God mm-hmm. and he just, you know, his chest puffs out and he just soaks it all in, you know, and then says the Lord for his, you know, uh, pompousness just smites him down right there. He was <laughs> consumed with trichinosis. He got, he got worms. That's crazy. I mean, you think about the different ways that God smites people. He didn't just smite him. He, he made him suffer. Yeah. He made him suffer. I mean, he made him suffer an awful death. Okay, see, I, when I read it, I just took it as he just, you know, it was like poetic language, like he struck him dead, but then he was eaten by worms and breathed his last breath, like, you know, talks about the great kings, the mighty ones in Sheol, you oh, know, yeah. on a bed of worms. The worms. I yeah. thought that was just a poetic thing, but what'd you call that? I took that, well, trichinosis just means you have worms. That's the, the medical term for it. He's so smart. Well. So smart. Anyway. That that uh, I took that as I don't know I don't know about you but I took that as literal that they basically that he gave him worms but then again that makes sense that when it, when you look at it from that point of view that you know when it talks about that it does say you know that you're under a bed of worms I mean it's basically just saying you're you're no longer you know from to dust you shall return that's kind of what that's kind of what you know he's saying there that your your body's no more you're underneath you're you're below everything. So, I like that word. That's a big word. Say it again. What? Trigonosis. Trichinosis. Trichinosis. Rolls Sorry. off the tongue That's, nicely. We're going to edit all this out, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. It's good stuff. And, you know, again, it, it, it shows, again, the, the power, right? It's almost like this power of God through his servants is just building and building and building. And it's like the more... The church is acting in faith. The more the church is waging warfare by winning souls to Christ, the more heaven is coming down to keep it, to expand it even more, right? We see the angel come down, freezes, boom. Herod, who had been leading all this persecution, right? And, that, and it's amazing, too, how, like, the Bible, you know, that how it's just James, someone so important, boom, he's just gone, killed, just like that, right? And so that's what the enemy does. That's, that's Satan's agenda, but it comes full circle because here's Harry getting, he gets struck down right at the moment that he's being called a God. And so again, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that this is all building or right? it almost, it takes me back to, again, to the gospels, right? When Jesus goes back, you know, to his hometown and says he couldn't perform miracles because of their unbelief, right? He performed no miracles there, right? Because so it's like, when you have this great belief in faith, God acts even more, mm-hmm. right? Miraculously. Mm-hmm. And so, um, again, I think just an important doctrinal lesson on the importance of not just faith in our lives, but moving others to have faith, 
and how, you know, when we talk about, you know, we want God to, to move God to do a mighty work. It's that it's these acts of faith and acts of soul winning and acts of boldness to win souls that leads to two very powerful miracles taking place in this, in this one chapter. I always use the analogy, uh, God meets you in the middle. You know, I think of that joke I heard a few years ago. It's always stuck with me. The guy that uh, falls off the boat and he's, you know, praying for God to save him. When a boat comes by and throws him the raft, he's like, oh, no, my God will save me. You know, and they leave, and then two, two more boats come, and finally he drowns. When he gets to heaven, he says, my God, I thought you were going to save me. And he's like, well, you big idiot, I sent you three boats. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you guys ready for the next one? Or you got some more points, or? Um, Steven's digging over here. He's got he's got a I'm nugget. Pulling, I'm pulling. No, this is for this is just going further. And we kind of talked about it a little bit. Earlier. Let's get into thirteen a little bit. Um, sure. There's a couple things in here when we get a little further that I, I want to bounce off you a little bit because uh, it hits me a little bit different way. And and it might be things that people have already said, but it just I've never heard it this way. So I, I'm going to bounce a couple things off you when we get to that point. But I think. As an overview here, we're seeing Paul's first missionary journey, right? This is what this is where he, you know, is is commissioned by the Holy Spirit for Barnabas and him to take off. They're gonna go do their thing, and his first journey was uh, between forty-seven A.D. and sixty-two. Or I'm sorry, forty-seven A.D. to forty-nine A.D. And uh, you see, this is where he leaves goes to Cyprus, goes, you know, up into Asia, comes back around, comes back to Syria and goes back, you know, to Jerusalem. But you see, once again, I talked about this earlier, how you see him going to all those, those coastal towns and some of those towns, especially those Greek towns, you know, we talk about those Greek gods and some of those Roman gods that we, that they're so steeped in. And um, like, uh, I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, but Paphos was the town on the western side of, of Cyprus was was supposedly even the the place you know that they believed that the uh, goddess Aphrodite actually came up out of the water and that's where she came you know to to there even though that she was worshipped somewhere else prior but in Syria but it's still just interesting all the different history there because even Homer in the Odyssey talks about her um, altar there in that city so I mean this is you know, well-versed throughout history, some of these other deities and things that they worshiped in these towns. So, you know, you already see what they're up against. They're up against some of these um, lowercase g gods, these, these, these other deities that we talk about from the Deuteronomy 32 narrative. They're going into enemy territory. They're going into hostile grounds. They're going out into a place where, you know, you thought it was bad. We went to Cornelius's house, buddy, guess what? It's 10 times now. This is going to get serious. And so he goes out and he's going to all these different places that are, you know, they're controlled by, by, not by God at that time. I mean, you think about it, they're controlled by these other, you know, they were divided among the nations or I'm sorry, about among the principalities. And you see that they're going into this hostile territory. And I think that's a really important part because you got to think Paul and Barnabas. Yes, I have a great faith, but I'm going truly out there to throw myself out there. We're going out there with nothing. We're going out because God told us to, well, the Holy Spirit tells us to, God tells us to. And there is everything to fear. There's, they could have been just like Jonah and gone the other way, but guess what? 
They're like, nope, let's do this. This is what God wants us to do. And as we through the sea and we get later into Acts, even some of the stuff that happens to Paul, you know, I don't know how he gets back up and just keeps going. I mean, obviously his faith was that strong, but I think it's just really important to look through and see. This is the first of those missionary journeys and the, the vast, the, I don't know how to put it. The best way to say it is it's just how serious this was, how big of a deal this was. This was going out to those, like I said, enemy territories. I just think that's really important. Plus, going through all those different port cities where after these people heard the word, this was going to keep spreading like wildfire. And God used that. But I just, I digress. No, you don't take a rest. You're right on. You're no. You're right on. You're right on point. Right. And think about it. Right. Everything seems right to go into hostile spiritual territory, but look at the preparation. You know, I. I you know, I, I love it that what they prayed and fasted before the mission. Mm-hmm. Prayed, fasted, laid hands on them. So it was like, you know, what did Jesus do before his spiritual warfare with Satan? Fasted and prayed. Right. It's all about this preparation that we have to think. I mean, again, this is for our admonition. Right. Are we, we often think of fasting and there's nothing wrong with fasting when you're petitioning God in prayer. I'm a big proponent for fasting, right? You have a loved one who's sick. You say, okay, I'm going to fast and pray to God. I'm all for it. Absolutely. Amen. You know, praise, praise God that we, we have that ability in scripture. Um, but also there's prayer and fasting to prepare for spiritual warfare. And if you think, okay, I'm going on, this mission trip, or I'm going to wherever you're going, where you feel there's a hostile spiritual presence. I believe the Bible's telling us the tools that that are used throughout scripture, the power of fasting and prayer. So I think it's all um, super important. And then, you know, of course, as they arrive, you know, what do they encounter? A sorcerer, right? Mm-hmm. Who, um, interestingly, you know, go to the point of how you know, when you think about, you know, almost Daniel 10, right, where they, of course, you, you know, the, the, you have the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece, these principalities, these fallen angels who are ruling over an empire, right? Isn't it interesting that the sorcerer is at the right hand of the leader, the political leader, right? They're walking together. So he's at the seat of power. So it's like Satan is setting up, okay, I'm going to install this leader and make sure my sorcerer is basically his chief advisor on everything. So we're seeing, this is a, like you said, we're, we're a long way from Cornelius's house, right? So it's, um, so yeah, so I think it's, it, it's very true. And, but they, it also gives this a great tool to know this is how you prepare for the situation, fast and pray before any spiritual challenge. Now, do you think there's something genetically going on there? Quantum physics? I mean, like what, in your opinion, of course, we're just speculating, but it's like, with the whole fasting deal, you think there's some kind of chemical reaction that weakens the veil and draws us closer to God or with the whole fasting or that's something yeah, I've always wondered. Yeah, definitely. I, I think there's, there's something in, 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 um, that, right. Like, so even, even think a bit again, going back to Daniel chapter 10, right. That Daniel is praying and fasting for those 21 days. And it's almost as if, right, the angel said, the angel couldn't defeat the Prince of Persia. And of course, he says, Michael had to come and jump in and intervene and, and win the battle for me. But it was, I've always, inter- not always, but in recent years, I almost interpret that chapter as if Daniel's continued prayer was playing a role in keeping the angel in the fight. 
until Michael showed up. It almost seemed like there's a connection between the angel able to just basically stay neck and neck in this fight and Daniel's continued prayer and fasting. So I think there's it's it's, it's almost establishing some connection through the veil with the spiritual realm when we do this. So I think there's something to that. Like spiritually feeding him almost. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. I never thought of it like that. I like how your mind works, so that's why I wanted to ask you that. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> Which you Thanks. spoke about, too, racism. I noticed, too, like in chapter uh, 13, uh, very first verse, it, uh, my notes here say that this is the first mention of skin color in the Bible. Yes. Yeah. So that, that applies to what you were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So Simeon called Niger, right? So uh, yeah, of course, yeah. And Lucius, yeah. There's a lot of a lot of color in this in this in this verse, right? And again, um, I mean, what what do I make of it here? Is that you know this is the Bible? I mean, Acts is reinforcing this, right? That we have to deal that, and this this is the good side of it, right? Because this is brothers of different races and colors working together. Right, when we're moving in one spirit. We, this is how this is how we get beyond it. Right, we have to recognize each other for who we really are, image bearers of Christ, sinners redeemed by a perfect Savior. Right, and and love each other that way. And now we can really make moves together. But yeah, certainly, um, we do see some some race mentioned here explicitly with Simeon, and I think and I think Lucius of Cyrene also, um, in some text that he's also. Uh, I mean, a lot of this, you know, and this goes again to to make a bigger point, right? So we, even the history, like church history, right? A lot of, you know, a lot of what's happening here is in the Mediterranean, but also in North Africa, right? So you're going to have this, you know, we're really at the intersection of three continents, right? In this area, of, in the area of Paul's ministry. So you're going to have, of course, people coming from North Africa, coming from Libya and these nations and, um, and then the Mediterranean, and of course, obviously Israel. So... Um, but the beauty here is that it's not an issue in this chapter because they're working yes. on one accord. So I, I do have a, I have a question kind of, I'm, I'm going to back it up a little bit here. Sorry, but to where you, um, we're talking about the veil a little bit. And I, I, that's a, that's a subject that fascinates me. There is, you know, so much there, uh, how physical or spiritual certain things are and, and how we can see or, or even technically perceive things in a different way. And I, I, I want to read a, a verse here. It was the Acts 13, 26 and 27. And it says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath fulfilled them by condemning him talking about Jesus. So when it talks about their rulers, right? So this is after Herod dies, their rulers, we could look at it from the way that the Sadducees who were technically over top of Israel at the time, or, or I should say, uh, you know, Jerusalem at the time, uh, the Jews per se, or we could look at it from the, you know, Ephesians six twenty version, the rulers and, and principalities that we're talking about. And, I think that when we talk, it says that they didn't understand. It's that concealment that God gives because if for one second, you know, the, you want to say Satan or whoever, the, the, the evil powers that be at that time didn't want 
you know, they thought they won when Jesus died. So even though Jesus through the gospels is sitting there telling everybody, look, this has to happen. The son of man must die, you know, three days, all this stuff. The truth of this stuff was all concealed, not only from, from multiple different Jews, you know, obviously the Sanhedrin, you know, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they couldn't comprehend this. It was beyond them. And then you get to, you know, uh, uh, go through even further and, and say that it was, it was blinded from the, the evil principalities and powers that, that Jesus died because that was what God ultimately needed. So those things were concealed from them. And we talk about that, you know, and we, we've talked about that verse a, a million times, you know, it's the, the glory of God to conceal things and the glory of Kings to, to search things out. And I don't know if that, in your terminology, like in the way you would look at that, if you would believe that that it, which one that is speaking to, but in the same breath before, before I let you go on that, if we go back to nine through 12, when we're talking about bar Jesus or the, the magician and we go back to, let me pull my Bible and move that back. If we go back to nine through 12, it says, but Saul, who was also called Paul. And I love this filled with the Holy spirit, because you see that back. Like when Stephen looks up to heaven, he was filled with the Holy spirit. It was a replay of Moses and eggs. Yeah. It? Spiritual warfare. <laughs> exactly. going on. So, but it says filled with the Holy spirit, looked intently uh, at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all that's righteous, full of deceit and villainy. You will not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. Now, the way that I interpret this, if we look at this from the, the spiritual warfare side of thing, the concealment uh, versus the revealing of things. If you look, this bar Jesus, he's never talked to a, about again, but the proconsul actually comes to believe as a result of this. The yes. other one never understands that he's truly God. So we're seeing, I, I believe that we're seeing here when it says those two separate things, right? It says that he was, he will be blind. And I believe that was spiritually blind. And then on top of that, you won't be able to see the sun. So you're blind spiritually and physically. And then when you go further, it says a mist and darkness. So I believe that's that spiritual veil that he's getting. God said, you know what? I'm cutting you off. You don't have a choice. You can't see it. It's that, it's that separation. And I think that's the same thing when we get down back to that Acts 13, 26 through 27, and you're seeing that, you, you know, they're talking about the, the Jews. And I, I believe that there might be a little bit of a double meaning with the Sadducees and those, you know, Ephesians 6, 20 rulers. They were blinded to the fact they they couldn't see the end game, the end result, and that was kind of what happened um, that ultimately led to Jesus being you know being killed and and our salvation. When we talked about Saul too, when he was converted, it said the scales fell from his eyes, and we I was talking about how you know serpents have scales. It's almost like Satan was in the way, blinding him, and you know God moved in and yanked that thing out of the way so he could see. Powerful revelation. Powerful revelation. I love it. I love it. I love you. you know, and, and I agree. I agree with both of you, right? Like that's a really you know amazing thing, right? Uh just that, that the scales from his eyes, like that is all 
a physical description that when you look at the actual language there that he had scales like what was going on that he was so um aligned spiritually with the devil that it was affecting it was manifesting physically on his body so was god rebuking just his sinful heart when he spoke to him from heaven or was he rebuking the devil out of him right both and so i think we're seeing the same thing here right and so it immediately brought to my mind um first uh, Corinthians chapter 2 right so uh seven and eight right so but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery right mm. that this God is he's concealing things even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory so the Bible's telling us this is something God intentionally hid and left as a mystery yes which none of the princes of this world knew for had they known it they would not have crucified the lord of glory so Amen. The princes, those are definitely the principalities the fallen angelic realm so i think it's completely confirming your interpretation that this is god intentionally hid this and so what we're seeing here with bar jesus is there were the, is the rebuke just like paul right of the the physical of him but also the spirit that is working in him Right. And it's really, wow, what a what a way to capture it. That it's, it's two punishments, the physical and the spiritual twice. And so, yes, yeah, so this is this is uh, definitely some serious spiritual warfare t taking place here. And it was a reversal, you know, because first it was coming off Saul. And Saul's like, OK, here's my scales and now you can have them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it just, it's one of those things that, you know, and, and you you could read that same chapter. I, I'm It's any pretty much any book of the Bible. You read that same chapter and something different hit me every time. And it's just one of those things that jumps out at you. And I, I just, I find that concept of, of the veil as a whole, but I don't believe the veil to be just one thing. I don't think the veil is just a, a, a physical sight. I mean, I do believe that there are angels and demons in our presence a lot of the time. However, I do believe that there is a spiritual blindness like we're talking like you were just talking about that can also be the blinders you put on or that you allow one of those principalities to put on you as well that that blocks, you know, the ability to get through and and that's that's where, you know, where we come in and when we talk about acts, that that's our that's our role. Our job is to go through and fight that. And when you talk about and we said Ephesians six twenty. What does it talk about? Right after it talks about the, the uh, the the spiritual um, war that we're in. Who are we fighting? You know, it says you know we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against you know spiritual wickedness and high places and all these things. But what does it say to do after that? Put on the spiritual armor of God. Amen. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. That's what Paul. That's what Peter. That's what Barnabas. That's what they're all doing here. They're going out and they're fighting those things head on. But because God's on their side, they're winning. Well, it mentions the rulers of the synagogue there in verse 15. It says, you know, after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have a word of encouragement to the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, it makes me think of Revelation when you got the letters to the churches. You know, it says, uh, send a message to the, the angel over the, the church. That's mm -hmm. what it's talking about. The rulers, in my opinion, the rulers of the synagogue could it be he's talking about to the the angel the the guardian angel of that church you know send a message to them saying and then all of a sudden you know that's when paul stands up yeah 
or, or, or a duality, you know? For sure. A absolutely. Absolutely. So we're seeing the typology. And isn't that amazing? You know, I, I love it because it's so, you know, because I love Acts 7, right? I love Stephen's, that's that amazing sermon yes. Stephen gives. And this is very similar. And again, when we think about just the doctrine of it all, you know, Paul is putting the focus on God's word. And what I love is that he is not just recounting the history, but also the fulfilled prophecy that this is fulfilling, right? Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a savior. He's going back to the seed of the woman, back to Genesis 3.15. And this is the important thing is that, you know, prophecy is a witness. We can use pro our understanding of prophecy as a way to witness. And I say this to all the time to people when we're talking about the Bible who are, are new to the Bible or skeptics of the Bible. I say, show me another book that has accurately foretold the future. You won't find one. You won't. You're not going to find one. And, and God, you know, Isaiah 46, God rests his entire reputation as Yahweh, as the creator of all things, on prophecy. You know, I've declared the end from the beginning, from ancient times, the things that shall be. And so... Um, so I love that that this is what he uses to witness. And it's not so focused on the hearer. It's not the, you know, our traditional, are you a sinner? Well, tell me the sins you've committed. It's I'm going to tell you the whole story of God's plan of redemption from his word and how he's fulfilled it, what he's prophesied thousands of years ago. And now you, you've just witnessed all of it. So um, I, I love that. And when you think about it too, so much of the... Um, I believe the exhortations in Revelation in those seven letters, I believe they're all in the end referencing some aspect of either the great tribulation or eternity, right? You'll receive a rock with your new name. You will you will not be cast into tribulation. You know, I'll keep you from the day of temptation. It's always coming back to prophecy. So very similar vein of Jesus exhorting, but with a prophetic aspect to it as well. Amen. I absolutely love, obviously, Revelation, but when you talk like Revelation or Daniel or Isaiah, like those prophetic books to me are the ones that are so cool because when you really read them, there's so much that jumps out at you and you can see, like I said, it'll change. Like you, the, the Bible, not only is it the only book that, that has foretold the future over and over and over again, but it also it's a living book. It's God's word Amen. and it, and, and it Amen. speaks to you and you feel it. You can, you can see it change and, and the way that it speaks to, to Justin and the way it speaks to me and the way it speaks to you, we could read the same chapter and just like we're doing right now. And guess what? Different things are jumping out at us because that's what God wants us to see. And it's always that way. And I think that's why it's so important. You know, you don't just it's the, reading the Bible. Isn't just like reading, Oh, uh, Dr. Seuss, you know, you don't read it once and you're done. You know, there, yeah. it, it is a new book every time you pick it up. And I think that's the most important thing for people to understand when you're, when you're truly in your Bible. And I, I think a good point that was brought to us relatively recently, and, and you actually alluded to it earlier is be founded in your gospel. Know Jesus, know who he was, know who he is and be able to defend that. And after that, after you're really sound in the gospel, then you're ready to dig into this other stuff. Because if your whole faith is based on, oh, you know, giants are cool or, or you know, all these other ideas of supernatural things are cool and you're not found in the gospel, then 
you're going down a dark path that's going to, that's going to lead you away from God. So I think that's really important. You're easy to be deceived because you don't have that foundation. But, but I love when Paul stands up and gives those words of encouragement to those people. You know, I mean, he's in a synagogue full of Jews, and he gives them basically like uh, uh, all the other apostles did when they were brought to trial in front of the you know the Pharisees and stuff. They give them a rundown of their history and how they kept screwing it up, you know. And that's what Paul does again. You know, he he does the same thing and tells them, you know, about Abraham and how they're screwing up and missed the Messiah and crucified him. But then when he ends with them, he tells them, you know, he says. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So, Amen. You know, he gave them, you know, some ridicule, but then, you know, some encouragement. Important to, I think, at that time, they, you know, they thought that the, that Jesus was coming back really quick. They thought it was coming. When they said soon, they were thinking that in the humanistic way that we think soon, like, hey, dinner's going to be soon. So, you know, when it says also in the same way, we, we talked about the table of nations before. And when they thought the end of the earth, the end of the world, they thought they got there. <laughs> they thought they were reaching out and that we got to hurry up and get through all, you know, the end of the world. Cause the end of the world to them, you know, wasn't the Americas, you know, it wasn't even a, a thought at that time. Wasn't all those other parts of the world, you know, the end of the earth to them was, you know, or like the pillars of Hercules or something of that nature where you're getting out to the, yeah, the Mediterranean, the Medi- you know, once you know, got to the end the, of that, yeah. that's yeah, it. That was it. Yeah. So for sure. they thought it was going to happen really soon. And it puts a lot of things in perspective, you know, God's idea of soon, you know, a blink of an eye could be a, a billion years to God, but we don't know. And we'll never know until we get there. But really important to think about this in, in this regard is that, their job, they did their job. They ended up dying for God all but um, but John died for God in some form of, of martyrdom, right? They all died in that way. And they, they fulfilled their job. God wasn't going to let something happen to them until they fulfilled their mission. And God knew the world wasn't, wasn't, fully won over you know it wasn't they did what they were supposed to do and the whole thing is that whole great commissions passed on to us and this is acts to me is an instruction book this yeah, is showing exactly. us how we're supposed to live you talked about it before about we're, we're fighting racism we're fighting all these different forms of things in our society today that they were fighting back then the same kind of way we're you know certain groups of people believe they're better than other groups of people because of the color of their skin or their lifestyle or their other thing and that's, their denomination or their yeah or even their denomination yeah. the yeah. church even fights with the church and we see Absolutely. it all the time it doesn't stop and that's where we come in and that's what our job is is to unite them and to bring them back the into the fold bring Amen. them back into the fold yeah. No. Hallelujah. Absolutely. And, and and again, going back to Stephen again, right? Like, how did he even get involved in ministry? Right? It was just solving a dispute over race, right? Oh, the the, the, the Israelite women are getting food before we are, right? They're getting preferential, you know. So so it, it's 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 no coincidence, right? This is this the God knows the challenges we're going to have, so He's highlighting these things in the lives of His apostles to to instruct us, right? So. Um, but, but I, yeah, but I, I love that point too, uh, just, just to go back to the encouragement, uh, you know, and of them being a light to the Gentiles, like God has a great plan and future for them. And, you know, he said, we declare unto you good tidings, right? We want to bring good news. And I, and I wonder, you know, when we, even how we 
teach sharing the gospel, are we teaching as good news? Because I think you said there are two components that both, what both of you said that I think are so important. One is the, the comfort, the encouragement. And then Steve, when you mentioned that you have to know Jesus, right? We kind of put Jesus' name out there sometimes, assuming people know him. Believe in Jesus, repent and believe in Jesus. Well, who is he? Right? It's just like, it's, it's no different, right? If you, there's, there's no marketing team in America that ever say, okay, we have a new product. No one's ever heard the name of it. Let's just say, you know, buy the new Zenus, buy it. Like, people will say, well, what is it? Why? You know, there's always a story, right? It's all about getting someone in a short amount of time mm -hmm. to realize this is something that's important. You want it. You should get it. Get out of your house, get on your phone and order it, right? You have to do that by giving a compelling reason. And so we see here a long account and sermon and gospel presentation that's saying, I want you to know God. I'm going to share what he, this is what he's done for you. Going back to Moses, going through David, the promises fulfilled to your fathers. He's compelling people and winning them over by sharing the goodness and greatness of God. And so I think that when we give the gospel, the good tidings, the good news, it's a message of comfort. And it's also sharing how deeply we know Jesus, not just telling people, yes, you know, you're a sinner. And like, have you ever done this? Have you ever done this? Have you done this? Now believe. No, it's like, well, I want to tell you about Jesus, right? It's just, and that's, I think, what this book, this of the Bible is really showing us about how we witness. Amen. Well, we'll, we'll close on a good note. I think that's some good words of encouragement there. So we'll, <laughs> we'll end it right there. You hit them like Paul did at the synagogue there. <laughs> but, uh, man, we appreciate your time, and this was so much fun, and hopefully we can do it again. It's always a good time. Uh, give our listeners uh, a good plug, man. Let them know where they can find all your amazing content. Sure. Um, first of all, thank you. Thank you, both you brothers, for having me on again. I appreciate it. I, I love this. I love this. Trust me. I, you know, I have, I can talk about the supernatural all day, <laughs> but a bit, you know, but this is so important. What, what you both are doing here is so, so, so important. So I, I really, um, Thank God for your passion for his word, for his Bible, and really um, being a blessing to all your listeners and encouraging them to grow and um, sharing your own testimony of how much you're growing, even as you're doing the show. So I thank you for that. This is really amazing. Uh, as far as contacting me, uh, my website is judgmentofthenephilim.com, judgmentofthenephilim.com. Uh, there I have my books, everything, my study guides, documentaries, it's all there, my shirts, <laughs> and um, also my Facebook, my Instagram, and my YouTube channel are all Judgment of the Nephilim. Um, I'm also bringing back my podcast, so I'll put a plug in for that. I did a podcast many years ago before I started writing since the beginning and end podcast. I'm recording new content, so it's going to be back probably in a week or so. I have a couple of shows that I'm posting up. And my, I have a weekly YouTube channel, a show I do Thursday Night Theology, but I have a lot of new stuff coming out. So I'll be so so stay tuned, tune into the YouTube channel, check out the podcast. You can find me, send me questions, comments. I I, I love uh, I love hearing it all. I'll tell your wife uh, the shirt was a good idea. <laughs> Thanks. I will. I will. She she has lots of good ideas. She's the one who told me to write books. So well, there you she, go. She comes up with lots of good ideas. <laughs> well, thanks again, buddy. We really appreciate it. Thank you, fellas. God bless you. Yeah, God bless you, you brother. All right.
you guys were inching along we're getting closer and closer to the middle just keep digging stay with us guys thanks for listening to the dig bible podcast all you dirty fingernail theologians we appreciate you be sure to check out our youtube our instagram our facebook and our twitter accounts be sure to like comment and subscribe and wherever you listen to us whether it's spotify apple Podcasts, be sure to uh, give us a rating that really helps us jump up so other people can find us keep digging